This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to the last segment this week of Reform This. Thank you for sticking with me, and th- if you're new, thank you for listening. I hope you find some information here, some conversation that you don't get anywhere else. And I think this question is the most important question of the day that seems to be lost in all the cacophony of fabricated issues, uh, uh, attacks on our order, our peace in America, and... The most important issue is, what does vetting mean? The last eight years, and even before, has been vetting somehow that, oh, they don't belong to terror groups. They don't have a membership card with Al-Qaeda or Al-Qaeda of the Arabian Peninsula or Hamas. Well, that worked sort of. But now with mass exodus of refugees into Europe and elsewhere... Some say, well, we don't have a humanitarian need to bring these people in. I I believe we do. I believe that it is in our interests to, as we did in every global conflict from World War I, II, and the Cold War, we did bring in refugees, not only because of a humanitarian need, but in the end, in a utilitarian way, America standing for that liberty, that bring us your tired, your poor, that that idea, which is distinctly American, spreads with viral mechanisms the ideas of freedom around the world. And that comes back to grow free markets and I think to benefit us in a, in a utilitarian way, let alone the compassionate human, humanitarian benefit we provide from giving back because of the blessings that this country has as the most... I believe, blessed country in the planet. But having said that, we need to do it smartly. It should not be a national fratricide where whoever comes on in boats and airplanes, whichever mechanism they use to come into the United States, that we just welcome them in because they look needy or because they have a good story. I have a lot of family that have a good story. My parents had a great story when they came in 1967 to the United States. I was born a few months after that, and they waited months after months until they finally got approval to stay. And five years later, they were naturalized citizens. But they never felt it was a demand that they had a right to be here, but they prayed And they wanted that privilege, that gift to be here. It is not a right, but it is a privilege. And we should welcome those who we have a capacity to and who will not harm us. So how do we figure out whether they can harm us or not? 
uh, talk to your friends, check it out. See if I'm, if I'm lost in space here, but I'm talking to a lot of people who tell me that it is not America's role to vet ideas. When people come in, as long as they're not criminals, they don't have a crime record, etc., they don't belong to terror groups, quote unquote, that then they must be our friends. Hold the presses. So set aside the Islamist issue, the jihadist issue. If somebody belongs to the ruling Russian party and thinks Putin is the best thing since sliced bread, that's somebody I want in the United States? While Russian government is using cyber attacks upon newspapers and is uh, holding up people like Snowden, who are traitors and should be executed because of treason? Seriously, these are people that we should not vet? And you think there's no way to ask in an hour or two hour interview or more questions about the way they view liberalism, democracy, free markets. Oh, and then, you know, oh, that's not the role of government. Well, you know, listen. Yes, the role of government is to stay out of the way for from its citizens that as long as they're not preaching violence and imminent acts of violent destruction of property and harming others, the latitude for citizens to speak in our borders is very broad, which I thank God for those principles of our Bill of Rights, especially that First Amendment and the Supreme Court's interpretation of that. But people coming into this country, we have a moral obligation to our other citizens to make sure we're not having a conduit of organized operatives of the Chinese Communist Party or the Russian Federation's um, ideological party. And when it comes to the Islamic majority countries that are Islamists, Salafi jihadis, movements that are from Pakistan to Egypt and Saudi Arabia and, and the Khomeinist uh, jihadists that created Hezbollah. Yes, Hezbollah obviously is on the terror list, but Khomeinists who are nonviolent, I don't want them in the United States. Do you? And you don't think we can do an interview in a way that, and again, you'd have to engage Muslims to help you with that. I could easily figure out if a Khomeinist or a, a Sunni Salafi jihadist had ideas that believed in celebrating free speech, uh, apostasy rights. Uh, do they look at Muslim countries as necessary to form a caliphate? Do they divide the world into the land of Islamic rule and the land of non-Islamic rule? These are ideological issues that, you know, listen... It's not like there aren't hundreds of thousands of necessary of folks looking for refuge. They can go elsewhere if they don't share our values. And it's not like if we only took those who believe in our, our system of freedom that we would run out of people to help. So it's very American to have a litmus test and and. and giving people that privilege to come. No, it should not be based on one entire religion. No, it should not be based on one entire obvious uh, race, which would be bigoted. 
But the ideas that we share as Americans should be part of that vetting. And the contrary discussion to this is who do we help abroad? One of the criticisms of the president in his signature to the order was that he mentioned helping minorities. And then they pull quotes from here or there saying that he had mentioned Christians and somehow that becomes an example that Christians will be favored. It is entirely absurd to say that the simple mention of the protection of minorities, which is part of the criteria of those who seek asylum, which is they seek asylum in America and we protect because of persecution for their views, be they political, religious, or otherwise. So if we identify some of them as minorities and we have an ambassador for religious freedom that one of the things he or she does abroad is to stand up for the rights of minorities from the oppressive majorities and stand with the Coptic Christians of Egypt that might be oppressed, to stand with the Yazidis of Iraq and Syria that were genocidally attacked, to stand with the Sunni reformers who are in the majority Sunni but yet are minority dissidents. This is not a litmus test for one religion, but rather for persecuted minorities, which is what our documents, our principles are all about. It is absurd to all of a sudden hear the mention of Christian or Jewish or Yazidi and say that we are favoring a religion by simply having a president that signs an edict. And you know, listen, the, the, the narrative from the left of exploiting the identity politic that we talked about in the first segment was certainly fed by the sloppy, unnuanced messaging, especially during the Republican primary and campaign in which candidate Trump couldn't nuance between Islam and Islamists. He said on CNN a couple times, Islam hates us. He he did talk about a Muslim ban and I, I said multiple times nationally he should have said Islamist. But everybody's in an educational curve right now, and we're getting whiplash, obviously, because the last eight years the the media was under general anesthesia, and as the president allowed genocide to happen in Syria and, and so many things to happen while he golfed hundreds of rounds, um, the reality is, is we're finally waking up and we're getting a fast-forward course in identifying our enemy and the enemy ideas. But it's not about an identity politic and stop allowing the left or whoever to make this into being about identity politics. Islam is an ideology. Within it, it has strains that threaten our sovereignty and within it are strains that belong here, not only belong here at home, but need to be our greatest assets as faithful Muslims that will help us fight the jihadists globally. And I believe ultimately that's a majority of Muslims. They certainly aren't in control in most of these countries that are cauldrons of terrorism and radical Islamism, but their theocratic mentality that they fight against is the key to the problem. So ask your friends at the water cooler or wherever, can America vet against ideologies? And if they tell you that's not our role, Grab your composure and have a conversation. 
because the United States needs to begin to get its big boy pants on or whatever you want to call it and start to have adult conversations about who we let in and who we don't, how we do security clearances and how we don't. Our Muslim Reform Movement Declaration, a two-page, I think, can be used for that. Uh, a set of principles of what we're for in addition to what we're against. And that should be part of the vetting. Interviews can happen with that. But first, we need to, as a country, say that that is rational. It is not unconstitutional. And now you have all these lawsuits flying around against the president for so-called banning Muslims. And then there's even this tidbit quote from Mayor Giuliani about, well, the, he came to him about a Muslim ban, so how do you do it? And, you know, listen, please. Now, obviously, he's probably smart. Giuliani was not, did not pass the muster for the uh, Trump administration. It was probably related to other things. But the sloppy messaging is going to take away from the necessary changes in policy that we're having. And it'll take away not only the effectiveness, but be used against the strategic ends that it seeks. And the Iraq war was a great example. President Bush, I believe, was wise and moral in the conflict that we fought there. That truly, there would have been no other way to make sure there were no weapons of mass destruction in a, in a dictator that refused to allow us to inspect and who was just as bad as Assad. And we liberated their people. Now, the messaging, the implementation, the follow-through now with the withdrawal by Obama has been horrible. And it has made a vacuum in which now we have a president that proudly says he wouldn't have gone in and proudly says he would have allowed Saddam stay in. I think a lot of that loss was related to messaging. I don't believe it's related to to having done the wrong thing or policy, but messaging of mission accomplished and then what we did afterwards. So success in policies is not only related to what you say, what you write, and what you sign, but it's related to implementation and articulating what your intent short-term and long-term is. Here on Reform This, I will walk with you week to week to figure out what the policies are smart, what part of the policies are not, and how do we implement them and articulate them to the masses in a way that makes sense as American and we can stand proud with. This is Zudi Jasser. Thank you for joining me week to week on Reform This, and we'll be back next week. God bless. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network.